Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest continues with part four of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, I wrestled with whether I should share this or not. This has nothing to do with the message, but I really feel like I need to share this. I had a vision this morning right before I woke up at five o'clock and uh, I call them my morning flashes, my night flashes. They usually last about five or ten seconds, but they're very vivid, and uh, and I remember every detail. And what happened this morning is um, I'm laying in the bed, I'm awake, and all of a sudden have a vision, and in the vision, I am playing baseball, and evidently I've hit a home run. I'm rounding, coming home to home plate. I slide. And I slid too soon. And behind me, I could see the shortstop. He had the ball, and he was about to throw me out. And I remember thinking, dang, I was so close. I was within three feet of the plate. And then all of a sudden, the shortstop goes like this, and the ball flings out of his hand. I reached over and touched home plate and scored a home run. And I asked the Lord, after I come out of it, why do you show me stuff like that? What does that mean? Well, you know, I prayed in the spirit and the Lord said, sometimes when you feel like you're down and out, God is about to do something so that you'll score a home run for him. You are this close to scoring for Jesus when you least expect it, when you think that everything's gone wrong and the shortstop is going to throw you out and all of a sudden he fumbles the ball and you're able to touch home plate, and you're safe. Now, somebody here is facing circumstances, you know, not just me, but other people here, and it seems like you're down and out. You're out for the count. There's no hope. But I'm telling you by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, the shortstop is about to drop the ball, and you're going to touch home plate, and you're going to score. You're going to score a home run for Jesus. Amen. Take that and receive that from the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Praise the Lord. The book of Ephesians part four. Now, let me give you your first slide there. Hold on as we continue our fantastic journey through the book of Ephesians. Our, our, our. <laughs> A little video, uh, a little clip from the Fantastic Voyage 1966 classic sci-fi film. I highly recommend you see it. Hallelujah. Hey, listen, there are some parallels. The reason I'm using these slides is in that story, they shrink a submarine to cell size along with some uh, scientists, and they inject them into the brain of a man that's in a coma. And their uh, mission is to go navigate through the bloodstream, find the tumor, and with lasers destroy that tumor, okay? The parallel is they got to see a bird's-eye view of what the human body looks like on the inside. The book of Ephesians gives you a bird's-eye view of who you are on the inside in Christ Jesus, amen? So there is a parallel, and there is an excuse. Of course, I'm always looking for the least excuse to bring some sci-fi into my messages, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so let's hold on because this week we're going to continue our fantastic journey through the book of Ephesians. 
We took a break for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, but it's time to get back at it, amen? So let's jump right in. When we left off last time, we had covered all of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, and the last half of chapter 3, verses 13 through 21, were discussed in part 2 of the series as a part of what we call the prayers of Paul, which you're going to get tonight if you come to Bible study. But the first half of chapter 3, specifically verse 1 through 12 in Ephesians, deals with what Paul calls the mystery of the church. Amen? Now, this is liable to be a short message, but it'll be short and very impactful. Amen? And that's what we're going to cover today, the first half of chapter 3, which is the mystery of the church. So when we're done, we will have covered the first three chapters of Ephesians. Amen? And as we're going to see, the revelation of the church age was hidden from the Old Testament prophets and was not revealed until it was personally given to the Apostle Paul by Jesus Christ himself. Amen. He, in turn, has revealed it to the church through his epistles, especially the epistle of the Ephesians. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's take a look at the mystery. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. We'll do verse by verse, and we're going to also introduce some supporting scriptures as we go along. Verse 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. In other words, if you remember from chapter 2, the very end of chapter 2 talks about how that we are all fit together to be a holy habitation for the Spirit of God. Okay? It is the concept of the church being composed of people who have Christ in them. You've heard the expression, you'll hear it again this morning, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, if you're a stone in a building that's built as a habitation for the Spirit of God, then that is a picture of Christ in you, the hope of glory, It was a radical concept at the time, and it landed Paul eventually in prison. Amen. He's saying because of this concept of Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we are living temples of the Spirit of God, because of that, I am here in prison. But he doesn't say he's in prison because of the Romans. He says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. In other words, he's saying, I am here because I've been preaching the gospel. Therefore, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And even though he was a prisoner, the work of the Lord was still being accomplished and the gospel was still being preached to the Gentile nations through the epistles of Paul. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. That's kind of weird. I'll read it again. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Now, first of all, let me talk about the concept of a dispensation. The Bible is divided into time periods, which some refer to as dispensations. The age or the dispensation we now live in is often called the church age. Amen. Paul referred to it as the dispensation of the grace of God. And Paul uses the phrase, which is given me to you word, which is King James for saying, I'm going to 
I'm going to give you the understanding that was given to me of the dispensation of grace. It was given to me by God, and now I'm giving it to you. Amen? That's all that phrase means. Everybody with me? Now, there's one thing I want to mention before we leave verse 2. There are some who do not believe in dispensational theology. But I want to let you know right off the bat, I do. With a very important caveat. Although during these different dispensations, God spoke to man and dealt with man in different ways. Man has always had to approach God the same way, and that is by faith. No matter what dispensation you study, everyone had to come by faith to God. The dispensations before the cross had to look forward to the coming Redeemer and what He would do for them and place faith in the coming Redeemer. Amen? All the dispensations after the cross look back to what Jesus has already done in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Amen? And we place our faith in what He has done for us. Amen? But I want you to know that even though I do believe in dispensational theology, I believe in all of the dispensations, there was only one way to approach God, and that was by faith. Even the Old Testament prophets said this, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Glory to God. All right. Verse 3. How that by revelation, he, that is Jesus, made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby, when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. First thing I want you to see in these verses, or in this verse here, verse 3, it says, how that by revelation he made known unto me. That, like I said, means how that by revelation he, Jesus, made known unto me, because you have to tie verse 3 with verse 1 in context. He's talking about Jesus Christ. How that by revelation he, Jesus, made known unto me the mystery. That word there, revelation, is the Greek word apocalypsis. It's the same word the Apostle John uses when he said this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. It means the coming, the manifestation, or the revealing. So the revelation of Jesus Christ or revelation by Jesus Christ, you could say it like this. Paul says, I received this revelation directly by the coming, the manifestation, or the revealing of Jesus Christ himself. And I believe it very strongly implies that word apocalypsis actually means direct revelation given to you by the source. So I can't come up with any other conclusion other than Jesus Christ himself appeared to Paul on probably more than one occasion and gave him the revelation of the church age, the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. And I'll support that with scripture as we go along here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's also reiterated in some of Paul's other epistles. Galatians chapter 1 verse 11 says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, the same word, apocalypsis, by direct revelation 
of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus was the one who gave me this revelation. I didn't receive it from just any ordinary man. You can trust this revelation because it came from Jesus directly. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Amen. Now, if you would go back to verse 3 and 4 there, because I want to talk about the word mystery, which appears in both verses. The word mystery is the Greek word mysterion. And the connotation of this word mysterion is a word that applies to fraternal secret organizations like college fraternities, some of these secret societies where you have secret handshakes and secret mottos and secret things that they do that nobody else knows about. In other words, you don't know about such things unless you're a member of the fraternity. Amen. So Paul is basically saying some of these things you're not going to understand until you become a member of the body of Christ. You will not completely understand the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There are some things you're just not going to understand until you're born again. That's why it's so difficult to describe to people who aren't born again what you're all about. You can use all the words you want and you can and you can share from your heart. But you know what? They have no understanding because they haven't experienced what you've experienced. They haven't been immersed in the spirit of God. They haven't become a part of the worldwide body of Christ. They don't have the wisdom and knowledge of Christ on the inside of them. That's why some of the things you say to them sound like nonsense. But it's the wisdom of God. They don't understand because they're not a part of the fraternity. What is the secret handshake of the church of Jesus Christ? I don't know. It'd be interesting. Can somebody make a fish with your, with your hand maybe, you know? He is risen. He is risen indeed, you know. <laughs> For those of you who listen by podcast, I did some funny looking gestures, raised my hand, raised my leg, you know. You all know what this is, right? That's praise, right-handed praise. What this is, left-handed praise. If you lift everything at once, that's rapture practice. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. We are partakers of the mystery, which is the body of Christ. You know, it's kind of hard to get your arms around, but, you know, all those beleaguered believers in China that are suffering persecution right now, they're in the same body of Christ as you and I right now. We are connected to them by the Spirit of God. We need to pray for them, by the way. It's been a real crackdown in China. On the believers. All right, verse 5 says, Which in other ages, talking about the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now this verse tells us that in ages past, the revelation was withheld from mankind but it's now revealed to us through his holy apostles and prophets. Amen. The dispensation that preceded the dispensation of grace was the dispensation of the law. Amen. We read about that in Galatians chapter three, which was also written by Paul. Verse 23 says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. 
All right, back to verse 6 in Ephesians chapter 3. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. All right, let me read Colossians chapter 1. This is a supporting scripture, verse 26 and verse 27. Even the mystery, same word, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. So these verses explain that part of the mystery was that both Jew and Gentile would be united together in one body by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Jewish believers and Gentile believers are the same in the sight of God. By the Spirit. Hallelujah. And just like the prophets foretold, the time had arrived when God would put His Spirit on the inside of man so that He would no longer strive to follow the law, but He would follow the law after the heart because God's Spirit was on the inside of Him. Amen. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is probably the most succinct way that you can describe this mystery that I'm talking about. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you that makes the difference. Amen? Hallelujah. As I said, it was a radical concept at the time. And because Paul preached it, he ended up in prison in Rome. Verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister, talking about the mystery. He's a minister of the mystery. It's his mission to explain it to the body of Christ. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Remember back when we talked about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, the salutation verse, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word Paul means small, but the word apostle means the one of highest rank. So it's a way that Paul was expressing his humility that even though he was the one of highest rank, he still realized that without Jesus, he was small. Amen? He's small. Amen. So here again, Paul makes it clear that he's humbled by the awesome responsibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He considers himself to be the least of all the saints, but he's also very, very knowledgeable and very much aware that he's been given a revelation that no other man has been entrusted with. And now he is taking that trust and he's given that revelation to the body of Christ. He's acknowledging, listen, you know, if I were God, I probably wouldn't have picked me. But God picked me to give this revelation to the body of Christ and change us forever. This revelation will change you forever if you realize Christ is, is indeed in you and he is the hope of glory. I mean, the same spirit that uh, raised Christ from the dead, Romans eight eleven, dwells in you right now. Glory to God. You should spend an hour just meditating on that. 
the same spirit that created the universe, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us right now. Don't ever feel powerless. You'll never feel powerless when you get the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. By the way, if you examine all of Paul's teachings and all of his writings, he's always aware and always puts little hints in there about your coming new body. Even the phrase Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a reference to the fact that you will receive a new body one day. There's other scriptures that say you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Basically, you are a marked man or a marked woman, and you've been designated to receive a brand new body because Christ's Spirit lives in you. So Christ in you, the hope of glory, not only talks about the power that's in you now, but it talks about the transformation that will occur in you later. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I am not preaching my notes, by the way. I'm just letting you know. I'm, I've gone geographic this morning. I'm all over the map. Amen. Hallelujah. But that's okay. Hallelujah. Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Here again, the point is driven home that the revelation of this dispensation or this mystery or the church or Christ in you, the hope of glory was hidden in God from the very beginning, even before the universe was created. He knew about Christ in you, the hope of glory. He knew you by name and he saw Christ in you. Hallelujah. Even before the big bang. And I am a believer in the big bang. I know there's a lot of Christians that, are harsh on the Big Bang, but if you really study the Big Bang theory, it is about the most godly scientific explanation you can come up with. Amen. It, it really, it, it actually was formulated by a Catholic believing priest. He came up with the Big Bang. I hear people talking about the Big Bang is just, you know, the world science. Hey, listen, there is much, much evidence to support the Big Bang. And basically, let me just give you a little diversion here. The Big Bang Theory basically said that once in the universe, there was nothing. They don't understand what nothing was, but there was nothing. Okay. And then this thing called a singularity, infinitely dense, infinitely hot, infinitesimally small. All of a sudden, it began to expand out of nowhere. And out of that expansion came the stars and the galaxies and the planets and space and time and matter as we know it. And so the question logical minds would come up with is, uh, where did this singularity come from? Who caused it to expand? Well, you know, some of these scientists, they just don't get it. They'll say, well, some transcendent causal agent 
was behind the expansion. You know, that's code word in my book for God. A transcendent causal agent. That sounds a lot like somebody who made the thing expand, you know. Somebody on the other side of the singularity, hallelujah, in a universe that we're not able to detect with physical measurements, he was the one who started the Big Bang. Amen. So don't ever shame people who believe in the Big Bang. If you don't believe in it, that's fine. But I believe, you know, God said it and bang, there it was. Amen. Sounds like a Big Bang to me. Glory to God. I won't charge you anything extra for that. That was free. All right. So Paul wanted to make all men see not only the mystery of the church, but the importance of the age in which we live. I think sometimes we take it for granted that we were born into the church age. Listen, this is one of the most exciting periods of time that you could ever want to live in. We're going to see some things that no other people have ever seen in this age. Amen. We should feel privileged to be in the church age. I know I am. I feel privileged. Verse 10. To the intent that now unto... This is a mind blower. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I got to read that to you again, because listen, this is this is a mind blower to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Now, that's not talking about friendly principalities and powers. Listen to me after the fall of Lucifer. Follow me here. After the fall of Lucifer, when evil was loosed on the earth, God launched a plan which he had kept secret from before the foundation of the universe. And the plan would demonstrate to these fallen principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. In this plan, the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed through every believer by the indwelling Spirit of God. On the day of Pentecost, when the church began, the Holy Spirit came down and dwelt in the hearts of men for the first time ever and empowered those believers to live the life that Jesus lived. Amen? Ever since that day, God has been humiliating Satan and his kingdom by operating through the lives of born-again, spirit-filled believers. Amen? One of your jobs is to be a humiliator. A humiliator of the principalities and powers that forever were broken and fallen because of the victory that was Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Amen. Their power was broken. Any authority they have now is stolen authority. They operate as outlaws in the atmosphere. And you and I are the sheriff that's supposed to chase them down. Amen. And force them to comply with their defeat. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Woohoo. Now remember, since I puffed you up there, that man is inferior to angelic or spirit beings. Okay? Because you're a natural human being. You got the Spirit of Christ in you, but I'm saying in your own self, you're inferior. 
But we have been endued with power and authority from on high. And with this power and authority, we can destroy the works of the devil. First John 3, 8. John says, for this purpose was the son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Listen, if you're a son or a daughter of God, if you're a if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the same mission. You have a seek and destroy mission to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. So there you have it in the scripture. A seek and destroy mission was given to Jesus, and when he went to heaven, he gave the same mission to us. Amen. You don't need to pussyfoot around when you come up against demonic principalities and powers. You have absolute authority over them, and you are to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, I was thinking about this last night when I was putting the final touches on this message. That he would demonstrate to the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. I got to thinking about that. I, I, I tried to think like a demon or a demonic principality. And I came up with something like this. First of all, they, they asked the question, how is God going to do? How is he going to be able to undo all the damage that we've done? We have devastated the earth. What plan could there be that could undo all this damage? And then all of a sudden they sort of slapped their foreheads. Oh, my God, we never thought of that. He's going to put his spirit in every believer. So the ministry of Jesus is multiplied by the thousands, by the millions and by the billions. That's how he's going to do it. That's how he's going to undo all the damage we have wrought on planet Earth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So right now, whether they want to admit it or not, they're going, wow, we didn't see that coming. That was the wisdom of God. There's no other way it could have been done. Glory to God. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Amen. Again, the point is made that the purpose or the plan of the church was eternal or planned beforehand in the heart of God and hidden until it began to be revealed on the day of Pentecost. And because of this plan, the mystery of the church has been revealed to us. Because of this plan, we now have access by faith into the unsearchable riches of Christ. We have access by faith into His grace and we have access by faith to the very throne of God that's never happened before unfettered access to the throne of God because Christ lives in you amen Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. You don't need to crawl to the throne. 
Walk up boldly to the throne and say, Lord, your word says you have delivered me. Therefore, I receive deliverance in Jesus name. Boldly come. Lord, you said if I needed grace, I could come to your throne and ask for grace. Every morning in my life, I pray the same thing. Lord, this day, I believe I receive grace for this day, for abundant life, for me and my wife. I say that every day. And if the events of the day seem to be overwhelming me in the middle of the day, I'll ask for more grace. Lord, I need more. And he gives me more because he said he would. And he said I could boldly come and ask for grace. Amen. All right. I got myself all preached up and happy here, so I better wrap it up. So to summarize, the mystery of the church age was hidden in God before the foundations of the universe, before the world began. And this mystery was revealed to us that we would know the wonderful things that have been given to us in Christ Jesus and that we would know the importance of the age in which we live. Listen, I believe this age will probably see more people come to Jesus than all ages combined before. I think we're going to see the B word, billions, not just millions. Think about it. I used to teach a course in the Bible school called 2,000 Years of Charismatic Church History. And in that book, and the book's about 10 years old, it stated that worldwide there are about 650 million spirit-filled Christians. I think that number now is closer to 700 million. That's a lot of spirit-filled believers. Now, regular Christians, I'm sorry to categorize them that way, there's about 2 billion. But that's a pretty good percentage of worldwide Christianity. We got 700 million spirit-filled believers. Wow, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what that says to me. Amen. And just think about all those people out there turned loose in the power of God. What they can do to destroy the works of the devil. What they can do to bring people to Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. One more time. I've said it once. I'll say it again. It is a privilege to live in the church age and an exciting time to be alive. Let me wrap that thought up with the words of Jesus. Matthew 13, verse 17. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Amen. We are a privileged generation, a peculiar people, and we should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed part four of today's teaching on the book of Ephesians. Come visit our website at gofaithlife.com where you can learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes. Also, visit and like our Facebook page, at Faith Life Wilmington.